0: No pressure as you just no hit the oh. Yeah,
1: okay. All right, here we go. Hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. I am your host, Roland Smith, and uh, here with my co-host, Alan. How's Tennessee, Alan? Tennessee's great, man. We're doing really good. Nice and sunny out. Can't complain. I can see that on Zoom, in our Zoom room, right? Okay. Uh, Terry Ishii, how's the weird city of Austin, Texas? Uh,
2: Austin's great. Other than the spikes in COVID, we're great. Are y'all having a spike in COVID? <laughs> yeah, we, we just we got put on blast. They uh, I guess some, really? one news channel called Austin one of three hotbed cities for outbreaks. So yeah, um, they they shut everything back down to phase one. So
1: Oh no. Well, I, I don't know if it's true or not. This morning I saw a, a tweet from the Israeli biological research lab or something like that, that they uh, developed an antibody that totally eradicates coronavirus. Who do you so, follow on Twitter? I,
0: that you're getting the Israeli biological research no, lab I,
1: yeah, I followed them. I follow them okay. specifically. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was on Twitter. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I did repost it and said, Man, I hope this is true, but so we'll we'll send some your way, Terry, if it's true. <laughs> yeah we need it yeah well hey this is the uh this is the last episode of season one uh we've had a great great time talking to different missional authors and practitioners and having some discussions and also learning how to do a podcast right I mean, we've kind of getting our feet wet and figuring this thing out and I am really excited to invite some other people around the table um, as guest hosts for this last uh episode and uh, we've got Kevin DeBose, uh, who in a minute we're going to let him introduce himself. Say hi, though, Kev. How are you? Hey, how are, how is everyone? Yeah, we're good, man. And then uh, Pastor Lydia Lockhart from uh, here in Colorado Springs, who's a friend of mine, and we have coffee around missional topics. And so um, just around the topics, we're going to discuss... Today uh, we invited them to kind of be part of that because they have a, uh, a perspective that they can add a voice to uh, to this discussion, and so uh, we really, really appreciate both of you joining us. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of just kind of kick us off. I'm gonna ask each of you to introduce yourself, kind of talk about your context or your ministry, and. Um, just kind of talk about your missional perspective uh, from your context to get us started. Can we start with you, Lydia?
3: Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Well, okay. thank you guys.
1: Awesome.
3: I will be on your podcast. My name is Lydia Lockhart, and I'm the pastor of mission engagement at First Press Colorado Springs. Um, I'm originally from Texas, but moved out here almost two years ago to start this position. Um, and really, my position encompasses global and local outreach. So I lead global trips when we're not in COVID, and I also uh, help our church to engage in God's mission here in Colorado Springs. We're a downtown church, so um, been in the heart of Colorado Springs pretty much since the beginning, since the founding of Colorado Springs. So we have a rich, rich history of being involved in our city, Um, and we're a predominantly white congregation. um, And... Uh, a lot of our folks live all across Colorado Springs. So um, it's been um, a great experience to be on staff here and um, get to lead some new mission initiatives where we are.
1: That's cool. Yeah. One of the things I like about Lydia too, is that one of the mission trips that she takes every year is to Cuba and uh, (laughs) she, she speaks Spanish fluently. So she likes going to Spanish speaking countries. So she either brings me coffee or cigars, you know, from her mission Don't trips. Don't her, Roland. Dang it! <laughs> and well, it's legal now. You can bring up to okay. a case back personally from Cuba. So she brought me these big Castro-looking Cuban cigars, which is just awesome. So that, that's one thing that makes us a friend. Okay. But um, hey, Lydia, speak to speak to one thing to me, which you know, you and I we we share kind of a white. Caucasian church background and history and, and all of that. And First Prez is uh, just really just a few blocks from my house. Um, and so we, we have been in the midst of some of the protests and the things going on right there by your church. What, just what are some of your observations? and is there, is there anything that First Prez is kind of leaning into specifically? to be engaged in that conversation?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, I was talking to these guys a little bit um, before we started recording, but I, I feel like these days I'm more conscious of being white than I am being of being a woman. Um, so this definitely in our context, it's, it's interesting. Um, our congregation is, um, kind of a, a, in different places regarding race and understanding that and different perspectives. Um, and so it's made it challenging, but at the same time we really want to connect with our physical neighbors and um, be engaged in the conversations that they're in. And so um, we are beginning um, I've helped to begin some conversations around race in our, in our church context. Um, Cause I really feel like um, being able to talk about these issues helps us to connect. Um, One example would be I, um, our lead pastor mentioned some things about systemic injustices that we have in our society in one of his sermons, and I was super excited that we went there. That's a very challenging topic to take on in a sermon, and um, he was very brave and and launched out into that, and so um, I invited one of my neighbors who actually lives um, just above me to come and watch that sermon with me she's not a person of faith but she was really intrigued and so i think that that when we can find the intersection between the issues that our society is thinking about and that they're on our hearts they're on our minds where our hearts are broken and then we think about how does the gospel intersect with that how how does the gospel speak good news to our context that really gives us a lot of missional
1: opportunities Mm -hmm. yeah that's great Hey, well, Kevin, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry and um, some of the things that you're doing uh, in an urban context.
4: Yeah, first of all, I'm super jealous about Lydia and Cuba. Cuba is <laughs> number one on my bucket list.
1: Um, my, uh, <laughs> my well, I think prefer- she'll sign you up for a mission trip, you know, if hey, you just raise your I'm hand.
4: On. I'm on with it.
1: I'm, I'm ready. Um,
4: my, um, my background is urban planning. Um, and, um, I, um, studied that Worked for the city as a planner here and director of community development and, um, my wife's in historic preservation. So, you know, we got to get to Cuba. Uh, but that's been sort of the foray into urban ministry. Uh, my dad was a, um black pastor um i don't know why i say black i think you probably could figure that one out Um, but uh he was a the typical pastor you know what you would expect and always um, had questions about what we were doing and uh, felt like um we didn't have much impact on the street you know where there was a lot of pain on the street but we had a lot of praise in the building Mm -hmm. So my venture to try to get away from ministry was through urban planning. And God sort of brought me back um, to ministry through this um, work that I'm engaged in now, uh, Emerald Youth Foundation. Um, It's a ministry here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we serve about 2,500 young people through um, sports, through after school, Um, programs through um, a a, um, college preparatory resource center that we have you know spread across the city so uh, I do that and I'm also um, a uh, follow pastor um, at underground Knoxville I say follow pastor because uh, Chris battles our lead pastor so I guess that would make us the
1: follow pastors <laughs> yeah, we had Chris Chris on uh last week on the podcast.
4: Great, great, great.
1: Yeah. Well, give us can you could you give us a little perspective from um the urban ministry work that you're doing with youth and there in the city of just maybe some of the you know, some of the protests and tensions and things and how maybe where you even see kind of missional opportunities. Um, to kind of bring the kingdom and display the kingdom in, in those tensions.
4: Yeah. Well, Roland, I've, I've realized I got to be very, very careful um, during this time. Um, My instinct um, is to be a reconciler. That's who I've been raised to be. And I have a mild personality, you know, I, I really just want to love on folks, um, you know, and I've been quick to do that. And um, now the kids, on the other hand, they, they're sort of bringing the tension. They're sort of bringing the, the tension to the fore, forefront. And so I've, I've been um, cautious that to make sure that my actions didn't counter what they're doing, because actually the tension is yielding some good result, results. We're, we're having, we're having um, folks, um, we're having laws change, people are paying attention. You know, even, you know, the President of the United States is putting out some new information on policing. So, I mean, the tension um, may not be such a bad thing at this moment. Um, I, I, I'm getting a lot of calls from my white brothers in particular, a few, a few, a few uh, sisters, but mainly um, white brothers, white pastors. And um, they want me to come and talk, talk to their small groups, talk to the church. And you know, Alan, it, it, it occurred to me that I think what they really want is for me to give them a hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. kind of let them out of this tension you know they know who i am they mm-hmm. they know i really want to get to the hug yeah but i'm having to tell them you know what it's, it's not my place to give you the hug right now you know this this tension is something that we we all we all have to sit in and we all have to um work our way through you know we'll get to reconciliation but you don't need old folks like me to get in the way of the young folks <laughs> uh, but, you know, Roland to answer your question. Our, our kids are active and um, they're they're interested and they're, in, they're engaged. You know, it's funny, Lydia. You you'd mentioned your your perspective of how you you're
2: identifying more as a as a white person than a woman. Um, that that's not. Um, uh, that's not a unique perspective, you know. Uh, I know, just in some of my studying and um, history, you know, that was a pretty common perspective for you know African American women in the 1950s and 60s, where you had the the women's rights movement kind <clears> of <throat> happening alongside the civil rights. Uh, movement and for a lot of sisters of color, they had to make a choice. They couldn't be in two places at once, so they had to choose: am I, am I going to fight because I'm a woman, or am I going to fight because I'm black? And uh, a lot of those women chose to stand and fight with their husbands and their children, and not because they didn't want women's rights, but at the women's right rallies, they're. the the husbands and children of the women protesting, their children and husbands weren't being hosed. They weren't being violence brought upon them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women felt that. And so it's it's kind of, it's it's interesting that for you to say that. And, you know, I, I think it's, I think that's a natural thing. And so there's no, there are no easy answers to any of this. And so we just have to navigate it the best way we can. And, And Kevin, I love your heart, uh, of, of, of holding back on that hug, you know, because and I think that's important. I think that's the self-discipline in this moment that we have to exercise to say, yeah, this is what I want to do because I know this is going to bring comfort, but there's, there's something happening right now that we have to, we have to let it play out, um, because that's going to be, that's going to do the most good, Mm -hmm. um, and even just some of the conversations around privilege, you know, that that we're having and hearing, and, um, and social media is just making me want to bang my head against the desk every day because just the the nonsense that I'm seeing on my feed, and I know in other people's feed, is just ridiculous. It's just, and it's so blatant. It's I, I can't understand how someone denies the idea of white privilege in, in, in our day and age, and we won't even poke at louis giglio's comments on this one um but it's it's just it's 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 heartbreaking we you love know? you louis it's, we love yeah we do and he's a brother in christ and, and we want to have grace for him but man just whew, he stepped into it and you know my, my own experience I, I grew up i didn't i didn't i wasn't born in austin i remember the first time i came to austin one of the first questions i asked was where are all the black people at?" and so because austin is a very white city Mm -hmm. I grew up in inner city, Houston. I grew up in third ward, Houston, fifth ward, Mm -hmm. Trinity gardens. Um, those are like well back in the day, they were like 90%, 95% African-American communities. Um, I actually, you know, I haven't shared this widely, but I actually grew up in the same housing project as Malcolm Mm -hmm. Floyd. Mm Um, and so, You know, Cunny Holmes, it's it's and what's the difference between the two of us? I got out of the hood almost with ease. I was arrested and picked up at 12 years old and I got a second chance. I got to go live in a boy's home out in the country and I I got a new start.
5: Mm.
2: When Malcolm was picked up. He didn't get that. I mean. Or uh, not, Malcolm. Uh, George.
3: I was gonna say.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just kind of had a moment. Um, but yeah, when, when he was arrested, his his you know he he had a different he had a different outcome, you know. And so it to me, it's is obvious. It it speaks loudly to me, and I see it. And so it's just heartbreaking when you, do, you you miss that when people miss it. So I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, so I'm gonna stop. Alan, yeah. Rowan, you guys. I mean, started. I,
1: I, uh, yeah, I was reading a, a, a little piece on Albert Einstein and Einstein called racism, the worst disease of America back in 1946. Mm-hmm. Like he, he recognized it and, um, you know, the, the, any, he, and he made the comment to some black students at, in Philadelphia, uh, at, um, a college there, I can't remember the name of it right now, um, that the disease was not their disease. It was, it was, you know, the white people's disease. And so, um, I think for me, what this is showing is the white privilege part that you're talking about, Terry. It's, it's, it's not, it's not as much, Um, I mean, there is, there is some things that we need to, there are some things that we need to realize, um, about what privilege has done between two races, but what it more shows is the problem that white privilege has on society. Whether people are black or Hispanic or it's women in leadership or it's, you know, whatever, whatever the the margins are that we create, a lot of that stuff I think is systemic from a point of white privilege. And so that's the thing that really needs to be focused on even more so than the police. Does that make sense? Like it's a, it's a sociological, it's a societal problem um, that Caucasians just um, over long history have had a, had a point of privilege no matter who the person is. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I want the conversation to elevate to that, you know, to mm-hmm. be a mirror to people like me and say, okay, so how, how are you leaning into this conversation to help heal it, um, bring new mm-hmm. information? How can you learn more? Um, you know, Kitty and I, my wife and I are starting a book club with some white evangelicals on Monday night. And, you know, we're going to engage this book called insider outsider, um, written by a black pastor who traveled the halls of white evangelicalism and is giving his perspective. And so it's a learning cohort, you know, we're going to travel together for five weeks and learn. So, um, anyway, I, yeah, I think, I think that the, I agree with you, Kevin, that the tensions are really good Mm -hmm. and we can't be too quick, even as Christians to say, okay, the kingdom's all about shalom. So let's just find shalom. Let's Mm -hmm. just find peace. No, maybe we live with this for a little bit so Mm -hmm. that people that look like me have a chance to look in the mirror, you know, and kind of say, how do I um, contribute to this, or what can I do to help?
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I, I think the the work of finding shalom is isn't always just you know squash beef and move on and let's let's get along. I think sometimes the work for shalom is messy and it is dirty, and, and, I, and I think that's that's something in my own theology of shalom and understanding what that really means. That it goes beyond this idea of ceasefire.
6: It's yeah. right. not
2: just peace for peace' sake. It is it is wholeness and. To get wholeness, man, that in this country, it's going to require a lot of humility and a lot of uncomfortableness, hard work, having deep, meaningful conversations, and when it gets tough, not stepping away from the table, which mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but people that I'm with, if, you, if you're sitting at a table and someone gets uncomfortable, the first thing they want to do is kind of push away.
6: Push away yeah. we, we have
2: to lock people down at tables and say, we're going to get through this and it's going to be uncomfortable, but we're working towards shalom. We're working towards a wholeness of peace.
1: Well, and the, the, the other way to say that we say in forge, you know, we talk about shalom or peace. We also talk about human flourishing. Um, You know, and flourishing is this, you know, it's a big concept. One of my favorite theologians that talks about it is Miroslav Volf. And if you're going to, if you're going to have human flourishing if that's part of the kingdom if that's the goal of the kingdom is for is for a place or a people to flourish sometimes there's gonna to have to you're gonna to have to fight for that right. um as opposed to just doing it in peace so hey lydia i'm interested too since since we have you um you know as a as a woman who's ordained as a pastor um i mean that um that's an issue also of the margins, um, a little bit. And forge speaks into that. In fact, our interview today with Angie Ward is, is going to be around her book where she's kind of, um, you know, she's, she's giving encouragement to women who have a calling to, to go past the glass ceiling or whatever they're feeling. And so what, what has been your experience, uh, obviously not as a person of color, well, I mean, as a white person, but you're a woman in ministry and an ordained pastoral position. Um, have you felt some of that margin um, in that context?
3: Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks, Roland. As you guys were talking, um, I was remember something I heard on another podcast by, um, Robin D'Angelo. She has a lot of great work on whiteness, um, been super helpful for me. Um, but she said something, um, you know, when women petitioned for the right to vote or, um, you know, people marching in the streets uh, during the civil rights era asking for equal treatment under the law, uh, for, for people of all racial backgrounds, um, you know, it's, the question is who, who gave them, like for women, who gave women the right to vote? It was men. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that shows the, um, the power disparity. Um, but it also shows an opportunity. Uh, and I think that that's something, um, that Kevin may have uh, alluded to is that everybody has a part to play. Um, and so I think, um, for me, I, I've experienced, um, a real blessing of growing up in a family where my parents are both ordained Presbyterian pastors. And so I had a model of women in ministry from my mom um, and went to a school seminary that was affirming women in ministry. So I think in that sense, I've been kind of sheltered uh, from a lot of the, um, the marginalization that happens to women in ministry. Um, a pet peeve of mine is when when churches will pigeonhole women and say you're the women's pastor or you're the you know the, the children's ministry or something and um, and it breaks my heart to see girls that don't um, that maybe have a gifting or a calling to ministry but don't feel the opportunity is there for them so um, I wrote yeah I guess some things that have helped me in this journey have been women who have been pioneers in this, like my mom, who uh, maybe not necessarily pioneers, but have been leaders and have shown an example and have mentored me. Um, another thing that's been helpful is men who've opened doors for me, who've been mentors to me. Um, those are, are ways that they can, you know, sometimes men have access to certain settings or opportunities. Um, one of my, the male pastors on our team, um, there was a gathering for some key leaders in our city and he said, hey, Lydia, come on and join. And I was one of two women in the room. But he, he used his position of influence to open that door for me. Um, so I just, I think there's a role for all of us to play. And I've been really grateful and thankful for those men and women who've, who've given me those opportunities.
0: Yeah, that, That's really strong. Um, so in the South here, in Knoxville, um, women in leadership, it's, it's, it's been a slow coming. Um, you know, it's a very traditional church type of setting. So it again it's it's based on where you're at. But we have a um, we have strong leadership on my staff. Um and especially uh one uh one pastor, um Molly, which I hope she never hears this uh because <laughs> her ego's already too big. So I, I love Molly. She's on the Forge America board. Uh, but when we started uh like saying, Hey, let's let Molly teach on Sundays or preach on Sundays. Um, what we did is she did it with me first, and it was kind of like conferring authority. It's like, hey, and then and then, and then we tried to platform her as much as possible. Didn't make a big deal about it. Didn't say, oh, hey, we're going to have a woman preacher. It's just like, no, this is normal. She has the authority. She can do this. And whenever we as uh, men have the opportunity to confer authority to her, we're always trying. And it makes me think of um, a conversation Kevin that, Kevin, that we've had. Um, it's an idea of an ally. I know that before we started recording here, you were really talking about uh, the place of allies. Could you kind of share that story with us?
4: Yeah. And I actually, Alan, believe that women, um, more than anyone in the Bible, show, show, show us how to lead through tension.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And I think, um, you know, with respect to allies, it's easy to be allies when it's comfortable okay yeah you know hey let me buy you some coffee and, and let's talk you know and we can have a panera bread relationship you know but to have an ally that's gonna struggle with you and to uh, cry with you to a- actually you know be subject to the same things you're subject to um you know is very powerful and you think about um, just throughout the Jesus story, you cannot tell the Jesus story without telling the story of the women around him. You know, you think about who was around the cross through that tension. You know, Jesus' boys were, <laughs> they were laying low. Um, you think about who was the first um, to the tomb. You know, you, you think about Mary's journey and her, her leadership, her, even her pastoral leadership um you know uh, i think it's a good example i think in today's time um we need to unpack what it what it truly means to be an ally mm. um and ironically i was just teaching on on act 16 and 7 17 and ironically lydia you know i talked about a character in the bible named Lily, lydia and and her story, uh, unfortunately, not many people realize. You know, she was a new convert. You know, heard the gospel, received the gospel, opened up her, her home to Paul, and and um, then all the bad stuff happened. There was an arrest. You know, jailing. There was earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> but what what's, what strikes me is the last sentence of that story is, you know, after all of that, lady is like, "Come on, come on, come on back." Come on back. You know, I think a lot of people have been like, uh, Christianity woo that's that's, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, that's a lot right there. I'm not sure I'm down for the for the next sleep you know sleep at my house. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know and then the next chapter talks about Jason who was a, arrested um, alone beaten and said actually drug through the street. And uh, I get a lot of friends saying, hey man, we're praying for you during this time. You know this is this is difficult. I had one, you know, pastor, white pastor, a friend of mine, who I love, tell me, um, brother, it must be really difficult being an African American during this time. And I had to tell him. I said, Hey, man, I've been an African American for 50, fifty years. It didn't start now. <laughs> uh, but the implication was this: this is your struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm praying for you. My allyship is to, to pray and advocate, but you know, this is your deal. And I have to push back on that a little bit and say, no, no this is sort of our deal. And you know, you do realize that if African Americans um, could have ended racism, we would have done
1: it already. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: We'd have done it a long time ago, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, but we we need the strength and, and that doesn't mean a white savior. That doesn't mean someone to res- rescue, but every movement um, has been catalyzed by white Christian with respect to the liberation of black people, mm-hmm. you know, in America, you know, so we, we haven't been on it been at it alone. And when I say catalyze, I mean getting over the hump, like the end of slavery there, you know, there were a whole bunch of white abolitionists that helped get over that hump. Uh, even we have, you know, I told somebody the other day, we have a historically black college here in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm a graduate of it. My parents are graduates. Um, the every single building, except for one on that campus is named after a white pastor. Mm. People don't realize that. Mm. You know, that school was founded as a normal school, you know, something to to help educate free, freedmen. You know, but this was a, a movement by white Christians to satisfy a need that they, they saw and they felt. You know, moving through the civil rights movement, you know, when the white christians joined the, the the bus um rise through the south and were lynched along with their bright black brothers and sisters when that hit the evening news you know things got started to change and so i, I think they um the perspective of 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 um what it means to be an ally what it means to live in this tension is important uh, for us to to struggle with Roland during this time and and actually you know we probably need to look to the leadership of women because women seem to do that a lot better than we we do
1: yeah amen to that well hey you two um i i think we could talk for two or three hours just around different topics and these kind of topics uh but we're gonna get to our interview but i want to say thank you to both of you for. Uh, joining us and kind of giving us your perspective on a couple of margin tension issues that we're, you know, we're trying to have conversations around and learn uh, together. And you both have uh, been such a blessing to that conversation. So Lydia, thanks for being here. Kevin, thanks. Thank you. And uh, Lydia, let us know when you're going to Cuba next, we'll send Kevin with you Come on. and uh, <laughs> that way we can bring more cigars back. There you Fun. go. All right. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump on an interview that Laura Harrison, the Executive Director of Forge America, and I got to have uh, with Angie Ward. And Angie just recently moved to Denver. She is the uh, new Assistant Director of the Masters of Divinity Program at Denver Seminary and um, published a book uh, uh, called I Am a Leader, which kind of gives, uh, she's kind of fanning the flames, uh, like you were saying, Lydia, of, of young girls and women that feel a calling, but they feel like they're kind of hitting some kind of glass ceiling or it's hard to achieve that. So um, it's a great book. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview. So let's jump on this discussion with Angie Ward. Hey, well, I am so glad to be here with um, author and educator, Angie Ward, and my friend, and actually my boss, Laura Harrison, executive director <laughs> of Forge, and um, have Laura jump in on this interview with us for Angie's new book, I Am a Leader, and um, Angie, I know we we are new friends and got to know yes. each other through a common friend who is actually your editor, Caitlin Carlson, shout out yes. to her. And, yeah. uh, and so she said, man, you've got to talk uh, to this lady about just her journey and her book. And, um, and cool. it's being released on March the 3rd. So actually, That's right. all, yeah. all this podcast uh, gets put out at yeah. exponential. It's going to be released. So we're really glad yeah. to have you. Welcome.
5: Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. I'm here.
1: Yeah. Well, tell, tell us a little bit um, just so people can kind of understand who you are before we jump into the book. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing. I know you're on a new journey mm-hmm. moving to um, God's land, Colorado, True. which I think is an awesome place because that's where I live. Uh, but tell yeah. us a little bit about your journey and what you're doing uh, coming up.
5: Yeah, so um, uh, broadly, I uh, do ministry, leadership development kind of stuff, but I'm a, a, a teacher um, at different Christian colleges and seminaries, um, writer. I've got this book, but I've uh, written a long time before that for uh, Leadership Journal and different other um, leadership publications. Um, I'm a pastor's wife. Um And so currently we live outside Indianapolis. We've been here for eight years. But as you mentioned, we are moving to Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm going to be starting a position at Denver Seminary with the Doctor of Ministry program. And then God's given my husband and me a vision as we are new empty nesters or open nesters, as I call it. And um, so for this next season of life and ministry, we've just, I mean, God kind of stirred up a next for us. And so one of the things we'll be doing in Denver is having kind of an urban uh, retreat house um, uh, called Salome House for just leadership um, development and conversations and kind of a based in a, a rooted hospitality kind of thing and neighborhood shalom. And, and so yeah, we're kind of in a season of transition and the book coming out. Um, so that's what I've been doing.
6: Sounds amazing. I, I'll be right there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah book,
5: get in line because the rooftop <laughs> deck facing the mountains, I've got a lot of. <laughs>
1: Listen, lot of I interested. I expect a key code or a key or some yeah, kind of pass right. for the yeah. rooftop deck because uh, I'll right. be close enough. But yeah. well, that's great. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about this book. Um, yeah. You know, the, the title, I am a leader. Um, when women discover the joy of their calling, and I noticed in the book immediately, um, which Laura and I have both read, um, that calling is the pivot that or the lever that you use for every chapter and and throughout this book. And so, mm-hmm. could you could you just talk a little bit about the premise of the book, maybe and maybe how it was kind of birthed? You know, what what made you think I want to write this?
5: Yeah um well i I didn't really say I want to write this. I kind of fell into it, which is kind of cool, but um, uh, part of some conversations where about this idea of <clears throat> excuse me calling for women leaders and women in ministry and it, in this Facebook group that I was in several years ago it it was just there just seemed to be such a need for more conversation about it, and so um, I kind of fell into being the one who got to write it. And so, um, and really, it's, it's the book I wish I had had 30 years ago, when I was starting my own um, ministry and leadership kind of journey and understanding. And, um, and so for like, in the book, I, I, um, I, I kind of share more about my own journey. But I also talked to like 50 other women of all different ages and life stages and, and seasons of life and, and geographic location, ethnicity. and And really, it's, um, I kind of wanted to it, just explore my own questions about what is calling. Am I the only one who feels these things and experiences these things? What does calling look like, um, particularly for women leaders, knowing the challenges I've experienced and realizing that there are some universal themes and um, things about uh, women leader's journey. And so um, kind of just wrote exploring that whole thing and, as I learned, wrote it down, hoping that it would, you know, help and encourage other women. And in the, you know, first, in the introduction, I talk about, say, you know, my goal in writing it for, is for readers to think, to realize that they're unique, that God's gifted and created and called them to uh, something unique, um, and that they're not alone. And, um, you know, Laura and I were just talking before we hit record about how we we think we're the only one who's experiencing these doubts or tensions or frustrations or, um, excitement or three, you know, kind of thing. And so just to have this uh, place to, sh- for people to kind of read and go, I'm not alone. Here's some practical things. Here's some things to think about. And here's what this may look like lived out, um, and, uh, and personalize it for their own journey.
6: All right. So good. You mentioned in the book, um, you know, just about, you say, I am a leader who happens to be female. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was very interesting. And then you go on to talk about, you know, feeling almost trapped. It's Mm -hmm. like, here's my body. I happen to be female and I feel like I'm trapped. And so, yeah. And I know you're kind of alluding to that even right now, but a lot of women feel that. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to them?
5: Uh, Well, first of all, um, I hear you. I feel you. I mean, that's not, and then you, like you said, you, you, that's a lot of women feel that. So it's um, not unusual and it's a common feeling. And so I think there's just some camaraderie in just n- naming that, but um, you know, I just like um, you, God has created you for a, like a purpose. I mean, and I, I talk about what calling is in, in the book and stuff, but and the primary calling is to follow Christ. But then he invites us, you know, to join him in his work in, in the world, and so I think just, the, and the title came out of, like, I am a leader, as I kind of uh, thought through my own journey, and realizing, like, this is who I am, and who God had created me to be, and, and, like, embracing that, um, like, DNA in me, and it's not just about what role, or whether I'm allowed to even have a role, like, I'm a I'm a leader, I'm a person of influence, God's gifted and called me and created me in certain ways, and um, so my hope is just that women will just really embrace who God has created them to be, not comparing, um, learning to tune out outside voices that may not be helpful, and really to listen to the voice of the Spirit saying, you know, you are my daughter, and and this is who you are, you know, and to live into that. So good.
1: What what, what do you think... um, I mean, the elephant in the room that we're kind of talking around is that there are these cultural trappings um, that um, many of us in church leadership and in church communities are trying to find our way out of, which is to equalize leadership in gender roles where we, okay. I mean, the goal would be to quit talking about gender. Right. And just to talk yeah. about leaders, like yeah. here's, here's my executive pastor or here's my whatever, here's my teaching pastor. Here's the chairman of our elder board. And right. really they just happen to be a woman or they happen to be a man. And we kind of quit mm-hmm. looking at gender. But the truth is that, that, uh, women in particular, um, live in cultural, Uh, traditions and dynamics where they have to figure out their calling within those things. Mm -hmm. And I, and I know, I noticed that you really, you address that really well throughout the book because you talk about once you realize you have your calling, then you've got to answer, okay, my calling and marriage, my calling and money, my calling, Mm -hmm. you know, so how do I let my calling blossom, um, when I am feeling these constraints and tensions, so okay. so did that come from a per, some personal things that you were experiencing, or you felt, or from what you heard other people say, other women say? Yeah,
5: yeah, definitely. I, I mean, um, and like many women leaders, we're called bossy or other b words when we're you know younger, and and like um, you know what do you call them? man who's dominant, you call him uh, a good leader. And when it's a woman, you know, they get called other things, you know, and so, um, and I was part of um, uh, several tribes and traditions where not only were women restricted to certain roles, but even being the type of person I was, was looked, was frowned upon. And so like being a strong woman, I would get kind of subtle, and a lot of times from other women, um, not just from men, about you know, not being a strong woman and being meek and mild and all that kind of thing. And I just, yeah, I struggle with like, God, did you make a mistake, you know, and, and who you made me or how, you know, I was, I was not submissive enough, you know, and not even just in context of marriage, just really like in general, you know, kind of thing. And, and then I ended up going to seminary, um, marrying a pastor well i mean a guy who ended up being a pastor and so then we've had to navigate what does that look like for him to be called and me to be called and you know we're on this parallel path that interweaves you know and then like you said like calling and money and then seasons of life so you know now i'm an open nester with two college kids but it it looked different for me and i wrestled with like and i write about like feeling resentful that my you know my like one-year-old was not napping when I needed him to nap, you know, kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and so just, um, I just want women to have freedom um, that I didn't always feel and kind of to, to realize like there's seasons, um, there's times, like I think for women calling is more like, um, and the parts of your life are, there's more like a garden that you tend to certain ta- parts more at certain times, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I'll, I mean, all of the book really comes out, and it was in some ways very uh, emotional, some of the chapters share, re- remembering some stuff and having to finally work through and forgive some things and and realize some stuff that I had brought and and just writing through that was just a in some ways very healing journey for me um, to to chronicle kind of my own experience and then also though very worshipful um, to see god's hand on my life and the people who had spoken in my life and the ways. God had gone before and been right beside that whole time.
6: Yeah. So you talk about some of those people in your life and, and you even talked about it in a way of accountability and whose voice mattered to you. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think that, well, I mean for all of us, criticism is, is difficult or the naysayers if you will. So how did you kind of come to that of who was who was going to kind of be that, um, those people on your list? Yeah,
5: I think Well, first I allowed other human voices to drown out uh, the quiet whispers of the Holy Spirit for a long time. Mm. Because we're told, um, you know, these uh, and the tradition I grew up on, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's a particular reading of scripture and these are your particular authority people. And these are the people, you know, they have the right to tell you what to do or not do. And um, through learning to just kind of be more attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, like, he, that's when he went, like, you're a leader, you know, God said, you're a leader. Um, and so um, as far as finding other voices, then I just started, I, I really started looking for who smells like and looks like Jesus. And I want to surround myself with those people. And um, so it was less about whether they bl- agreed with me and what they believe, but it's like their posture toward um, each other and, to- and, you know, characterized by love. And so um i just realized I, I think i finally just went i, I um i'm not going to listen to some of those voices because they conflict with what god is telling me you know and and i realized time there was anxiety around of like one of those voices i realized that wasn't of god yeah because um even if there's even if god's calling me or t- you know challenging me to something or a, or a person has challenged me to something difficult if it's of god i feel like there's a centeredness and a peace to it so those are kind of some of the litmus tests I use now, uh, for who to surround um, in my life.
1: Yeah. Well, um, so I have a kind of a two-part question I'd love for you to hit. So, what what would you first? What would you say to um, the woman that's out there that is feeling this calling, but is trying to navigate uh, an environment? that is not as conducive to, to fanning her flames. Um, And then part B would be, what would you say to me, the, you know, 50 year old white, well, a little bit older than 50 uh, year old (laughs) white male um, who is in leadership positions and has the opportunity to fan flames Mm -hmm. and be intentional. Right.
5: Yeah. Yeah uh so the first because I'm also around 50 so the first question just completely skip my, my uh, so.
1: <laughs> so what would you say to younger younger women that are trying to navigate yeah, that's right, that's a, right. a, yeah. they they have a burning there it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah. um well you know in the book I talk about a couple of things first I I bring leadership down from this like and calling from this like grand glorious kind of thing it's like it's just joining God at work and so So first of all, it's like um, reject the myth that like you have to have a certain position or, you know, title within an organization, that kind of thing. I mean, I define leadership as influence, you know, and calling is like a God given conviction about your life's direction. So that can take place very like locally and organically, just like in your own home, like what is in front of you and start leading and influencing in those contexts kind of thing. Um, But there's I also say in the book that our God-given calling is lived out in the reality of human systems for men and for women, you know? And so, um, if you're in a system, which, you know, what I had found myself several times in my life that, um, is either thwarting or actively opposing or just not, you know, finding a place to flourish. It's like, um, I'm responsible to steward my calling, you know? And, um, so, I think there's, you know, several options you have and, and, um, and God shapes us and ultimately he wants us more than what we can do for him. And so ultimately he shapes us in that process of being attentive to, to him and to his voice. And, um, so sometimes it's, it's okay. Find places where you can lead and have influence. There may come a point where you say, I need to leave the system. Um, uh, there may be times where you say, I'm just, I'm going to wait for now, you know, uh, or try to be a voice for change. And I was talking to some women yesterday. I said, you may be, um, the woman who's like, like the Moses and that you raise the conversation and ask the questions and you get people to the edge of the promised land, but you don't get to experience it yourself, mm-hmm. which is a hard calling, you know, just yeah. to be the one that doesn't get to realize the fruit of that. But the work that you're doing matters and it's shaping you in the process, which is really the most important
1: well and that's not an uncommon thing for any leader, right? Regardless of gender, is that you're you're carrying a vision or something forward that you may not see the fruit of. So it's kind of right. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And you know, and and if you know it's like we want it to be obviously realized in our lifetime. And and you know, when I started writing this book three years ago, this was before the first accusations against Harvey Weinstein or any of the Me Too stuff. And so it's just happening happened to drop like right in the middle of now a very hot conversation in, right. in Christian circles and not just culturally a cultural moment about power and women and women's roles and, and that type of thing. So we are at a point where there are conversations. And I realize that like in some ways the power balance has shifted. I can walk into a room and I can make a false accusation and I will be believed by a lot of people. I mean, I have power yeah, in that, even right. if I don't have a positional power. So so recognizing where you do have power in terms of influence, and you know, using that for good.
1: Okay, and then part B was. So what did I tell spe- you, speaking yeah. to me.
5: She she remembers yeah. that one. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Part B. Um, I think, um, creating safe spaces for conversation. You know, I think I think, um, and I've seen this with like. um, you know, racial conversations too. It's like, I think a lot of men and women are afraid to have the conversation because now we're afraid of offending. We're, you know, because this power thing is very volatile right now, you know, and so, um, uh, I think that we, a lot of times, um, uh, view power, um, or like we view authority in terms of like power and permission giving like authority over. And I talk in the book about like mutual accountability and community and stewardship. And so like, um, power doesn't have to be this zero sum game where if I give you some, I automatically lose it. And this is, that's a fearful thing. You know, it's like, yeah. can't we, um, raise, um, women up, and like i heard one leader say the way to make weak women uh, weak men strong is not by making strong women weak you know and so oh, how yeah. can we raise all of us together in partnership yeah. um, and just having those conversations and 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 so i think you know one of the key roles of, i believe of a leader is kind of culture creation you know and 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 management and and maintaining a culture where it's safe to have those conversations where you're secure in your own Gifting and calling, and you know, coming at it from this a uh, very centered perspective, I guess is you know, and so, yeah. so bringing your own non anxious presence, and then creating those conversations where it's safe to have those individually and as teams and in groups. Yeah,
6: yeah, it's good. And I think what I would just add to, I mean, I'm even learning this in, you know, learning about, um, you know, white privilege and and what mm-hmm. people are, are walking through and how. But now that I'm like awake to it. It's it's everywhere, and I have to take action. And so I think that, yes. that was some of it too. Is just from a gender perspective, um, you know, especially some of our male colleagues of just saying, "Hey, to your point, like let's just have the conversation. Like, are there some things that I've done, or maybe read some things? Like, uh, men should read her book. I am. <laughs> I just <laughs> held it up like somebody can see it, but I forgot. Right, it on her right, podcast. Yeah. Um, but to, to read and and because I think once you're aware of it you know, you can enter those spaces a little bit better than for us always having to, because we're not going to always call men on the carpet, you know, for that stuff. We're just going to feel it. Um, And then uh, too, I would just say, when you were talking about even just coming together and, you know, what does the kingdom look like? It is us all together and, and for so long, I think we as women have felt that we almost have to become like men to mm-hmm. be influential and to be, you know, justified to be at those tables and spaces okay. instead of going, no, actually to your point, this is how God has wired me. And what I do bring to the table is needed. The empathy, yeah. the collaboration, the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so the, I, I don't know. I just think that if, if those things are equally valued I think that we could definitely be in partnership and and collaborate better together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think that's one of the things I've, that I've learned as a man or have been learning and am still learning because I came up, I've come up in a culture where leadership is framed in a male context. Mm -hmm. So leadership books, you know, all the, I mean um, everything revolves around, you know, kind of the warrior, apostolic, high a, you know, leader that can get up and and you know speak and do all these things and strategize. And I'm relearning leadership um, as I'm in a community where we value uh-huh. women leaders. We're actually trying to get rid of uh, even our awareness of gender, but just raise up. Uh-huh leadership and so uh-huh. um, um one of our pastors here that's a woman her leadership may look totally different than mine but we're equally leaders in the organization you know we're uh-huh. in the community uh-huh. so
5: uh-huh. i see a lot of all uh, right i just experience a lot of fear but men and women so it's like um you know, women's like, well, well, we're just so driven by our, or guided by our fear instead of this, like, again, kind of a non-anxious presence, you know, kind of thing. And so it's like, you know, it's like, men, what, what are you afraid of of this conversation? You know, and just acknowledging what that is. And women, what are you afraid of of the conversation or of not having the conversation, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Right. And, and, but that acknowledging our fears is a very vulnerable posture, yeah. sure, you sure. know, so I think that's, it's a part of it's just about posture right more than just practice
1: well i would um i could spend easily another couple of hours kind of talking to you about this stuff and i have a sneaking suspicion that we're gonna be sipping wine on your rooftop deck talking about things so. anyway so yeah,
6: i, I want to um, come, I wanna come.
1: <laughs> well so you, laura you can fly fly over to colorado um so do you have a copy of your book in front of you
5: I don't. They all in, people a box ask in the me, garage.
1: Okay, so <laughs> you're just like me. It's kind of like do you have a business card on you? No. Um yeah. so here's here's what I wanted to do though, um because now, did you write the the poem that's right at the front of the introduction? No,
5: which uh, the f-
1: It might feel like a nudge.
5: Oh, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. So
1: you don't have a book in front of you, so I'm going to no. get I'm going to get Laura to read it, Um, but just read that that little point, because I I thought that was a fantastic intro uh, to the book.
6: Yes, and I actually wrote two things that I've actually done when it made me think of this. So it says, it might feel like a nudge, or maybe it's a burden you can't shake, a burning, a whisper, a leading, a feeling of discontent a prompting, an invitation, perhaps even a command. It's hard to describe, but you're sure of it. You've experienced something. This something has come from someone outside of yourself, yet at the same time, it resonates deep within your spirit and it is asking, perhaps urgently, for a response. But you have so many questions all cluttering your head and your heart, clamoring for attention. Did I hear correctly? Can I really do this? How will I make this work? What will this mean for my family? What if I fail? What if I succeed? You take a deep breath. There it is again. Will you join me? I know the feeling. I loved Mm -hmm.
1: it. I I think maybe you found your Audible book uh narrative.
6: I I think
5: so. I know. <laughs> I would love to do that. Yeah, that's that fantastic.
1: Well, hey Angie, thanks for joining us. I I, do, I want to reiterate what uh, Laura said to all the guys because there are there are a lot of men listening to this right now. Um, I read this book and it not only allowed me to understand the conversation more, uh, but it also enlightened me about my own calling because you just mm-hmm. talk about. You talk about some very common things about calling yeah. and following yeah. God that that actually pushed me as well, and mm-hmm. so I want to encourage everyone to go get this. I am a leader. When women discover the joy of their calling, it's being released uh, March the third, uh, published by Nav Press and edited by my friend Caitlin Carlson. Another mm-hmm. shout out. I'm hoping I get a free lunch out of that or something. That's right. Because <laughs> uh, I know she's going to listen to this. Um, and everywhere that fine books are sold. So Amazon and bookstores and everywhere that it's going to be released by NavPress. So, uh, but we, we so appreciate your work uh, at forge and, um, are glad that you're a new friend and kind of comrade Mm -hmm. and part of the tribe, as we say.
5: Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: so we really look forward to a long conversation with you.
5: Thanks. Thanks, such an honor to be with y'all, and um, yeah, peace to both of you and y'all with Forge and the work you're doing for the kingdom.
1: Okay, well thank you, and we'll see you soon in Denver.
5: Sounds great. Okay, all right,
1: Hey, well, fantastic um, conversation with Angie Ward today and loved having Lydia Lockhart and Kevin DeBose with us. Uh, as well as guest hosts. And it was a great way to kind of wrap up season one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, feel strong. Oh, this is where I'm supposed to talk.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah, so season one uh, coming to an end, uh, but we are excited about season two. Uh, and so one of the things we wanted to do, we were trying to like, hey, how can we end this? And, you know, you can't really do a cliffhanger with our kind of podcast or anything like that. But what we did decide is we'd love to hear from you guys. And so uh, for the, for you guys who have been tracking with us all season and all the different interviews and kind of conversations we've had, we, we'd love to hear what you guys would like to hear next. Are there certain topics or issues or problems that you, you you're dealing with or seeing or um as we look to the future uh that you would like to have three knuckleheads you know have a conversation around and maybe Try to use our networks to find some people to interview. Uh, I know we have a running list of people that were our kind of our bucket list of people we'd love to interview for season two, and so uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and then if there are any guests that you would like to hear that you think it would be great for Forge America to to kind of sit down and have a conversation with. Um, let us know and so you can email us uh all we all have the same email address for the most part uh alan at forgeamerica.com roland Row r-o-w-l-a-n-d at forgeamerica.com and then terry at forgeamerica.com and terry is always always with a y never never (laughs) I. uh
0: hold on if you're going to clarify alan is a-l-a-n the way it should be spelled
2: well that was a given buddy i
0: know but it's not given in society now i know
2: Um, but yeah, so let us shoot us an email. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. We know at least three people are listening. And so, uh, none of our wives listen. So, uh, we could, we could, we'd love to hear from you. So
1: yeah, my daughter actually listens once in a while. So she, I mean, she told me that. So we, so maybe four listeners we had, which were great. And then each of the interviewees that we've had, I'm sure that they listen to their own podcast. Interview. Yeah, they just skip that big chunk at the beginning. right, <laughs> <laughs> skip it. And maybe that'll get better in season two. So, I mean, what's been great about this experience for the past few months is uh, this is my first podcast to host, and um, we have kind of gotten our feet wet and learn- You know, hopefully learned how to do it. So, um, it's kind of like a lot of TV series, right? The first season is kind of, oh, it's okay. The second season gets really good. So, Maybe people have that to look forward to. So This is
2: like our season one of The Office with like slick down yeah. hair, Steve Carell,
1: and then right, get into the groove. We're going to get into the groove. Yeah, the groove. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, well, guys, it's been uh, it's been awesome to do this season with you, and we've had a lot of fun, and uh, we already have some great stuff planned for the season two. And Mike Frost has got a new book coming out. And, Um, there's some great stuff that's coming up and I know that we're going to be engaging um, all of that, but it's been fantastic just hanging with you in the zoom room during COVID, you know, and uh, hopefully when we start season two, uh, we'll be on the other side of a vaccine or something like that. So we'll, we'll see what that brings in the fall. So Alan, great to have you and see you and we'll continue to uh, connect i'm sure but as far as this podcast goes we'll we'll see uh, after the summer all right looking forward to, to it. see and terry keep things weird down in austin that's right is that it that's, that's it? it that's it um, that's what, what it. is
2: my daughter says that when they when they leave school is it be hags or have a great summer hags have a great summer yeah
1: hags hags so- Hags. Okay. I yeah, hashtag hags.
2: Hashtag hags, man.
1: All right, all right. Well, cool. All right, we well, love you guys, and we'll see you. And uh, go out there and like us on iTunes. Be sure to follow us, and we will catch up with you in a couple of months.